بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين سيدنا وحبيبنا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه جمعين وبعد We begin in the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the most merciful, the most compassionate our Lord, our creator, our sustainer, our nourisher and we bear witness that there is none worthy of worship except Allah and that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is his servant and messenger. There's a very beautiful dua that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would make. And in this dua, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for protection from four things. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would say, Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min ilmin la yanfa'. O Allah, I seek refuge, I seek your protection from such knowledge, min ilmin la yanfa', from such knowledge that does not give benefit. And from such a heart that is not submissive towards you. And from such a dua that is not accepted or is not heard. And O Allah, I seek refuge in you from such a nafs, a soul that is never satiated. So in this dua, the Prophet ask protection from these four things. Knowledge that is not beneficial, a heart which does not humble itself towards Allah, a dua that is not accepted, and fourthly, a nafs which is never satiated. Scholars write under the commentary of this hadith that we learn a very important principle from this dua of the Prophet ﷺ. That important principle is that though we may be bestowed with a blessing, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may have given us a blessing, if we don't use that blessing the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to use it, or if we don't couple it with the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, then that blessing, instead of being a blessing, can turn out to be a burden instead. It's knowledge, and we were blessed with that knowledge, but that knowledge was not beneficial for us. So despite having the knowledge, and having this blessing, instead of being a blessing, it turns out to be a burden. We have a heart, and we could have used this heart to obey Allah, and to be submissive to Allah, and to humble ourselves to Allah. But if we didn't use this heart correctly, then instead of being a blessing, this heart then becomes a burden instead. So the, from this principle we learn that in everything in our life, and all of the blessings that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has bestowed us with, it's very important for us to couple and pair our blessings with two things. Asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for his tawfiq. And secondly, coupling it and pairing it with the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Roughly a year and a half ago, when we heard that the masajid were being closed down, and the blessing of the masjid was snatched away from us. First it was just the masajid, then we heard it got worse, and the Jumu'ahs were snatched away. And then it got worse. Ramadan was snatched away. These thoughts ran through the minds of all of us. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had given us the blessings of the masajid. Was it a deficiency on our part that this blessing was taken away? Was it something we did? Were we not fulfilling the role and the objectives of the masjid? Was it a deficiency on our part? And the ahadith of the Prophet regarding the ending of times, regarding the signs of the day of judgment, ran through our minds and we heard it in Jumu'ah khutbahs and on live stream feeds, the signs of the Day of Judgment and what the Prophet said regarding the masjid. In one hadith, the Prophet mentioned, And nothing will be left of Islam except the label, the name, the spirit of the Qur'an, the spirit of Islam, the message of the Qur'an, the message of Islam, all of it will vanish, what will be left? just mere physical copies of the Qur'an, just the label of Islam and the label of Muslim. And towards the end of that hadith, the Prophet ﷺ said, at that time, masajiduhum amirah wa hiya min al-huda. At that time, masajid will be built beautifully, but unfortunately, wa hiya min al-huda, they will be empty from any guidance. In another hadith reported by Imam Bukhari, it's the saying of Anas radiallahu an. He mentions that Anas an, while mentioning the signs of the Day of Judgment, he said, people will build masjids, People will build the masjids, but then they won't populate them. They won't establish the masjid. Essentially, not fulfilling 
the role and the responsibility that the masjid has. So these thoughts ran through our mind. And so today I wanted to look through the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. From the life of the Prophet ﷺ, what do we learn regarding the rights and the responsibilities and the role of the masjid? The first thing that I wanted to mention, and we always hear it, in regards to everything that we do in Islam, is our intention. Whether we're building it, whether we're attending, whether we're giving, whether we're taking, whether we're volunteering, cleaning, teaching, learning, whatever capacity our relationship might be with the, with the masjid of Allah, with the houses of Allah, our intention should only be for the sake of Allah. Nothing else should cloud our intention. Like I mentioned, if you're building, giving, taking, attending, teaching, learning, in whatever capacity our relationship is with the masjid, we do it only for the sake of Allah. I'm reminded of the story in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, there was a, name, a, a man by the name of Abu Amir. And this Abu Amir, he built a masjid with all of the wrong reasons and all of the wrong intentions. He built a masjid and then he asked the Prophet ﷺ, O Prophet of Allah, can you come pray in my masjid, endorse it? If the Prophet ﷺ prays there, then of course everyone else will also pray there. The Prophet ﷺ was on his way to Tabuk. And the Prophet ﷺ said, on the way back, I'll stop at your masjid. But before the Prophet ﷺ could stop and pray in the masjid, Jibreel ﷺ descended with verses from the Qur'an, wahi and revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cleared the air and informed the Prophet ﷺ of Abu Amr's true intentions. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَالَّذِينَ اتَّخَذُوا مَسْجِدًا ضِرَارًا وَكُفْرًا وَتَفْرِيقًا بَيْنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ in regards to that man who built the masjid for harm, for disuniting the ummah, for all different other purposes besides the true, true niyyah and for, uh, for pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in the ayah, husna." If you had to ask Abu Amir, why did you build the masjid? He will say, I built it for Allah. Illa husna I only built it for good. Wallahu yashhadu innahum Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Allah bear witnesses that this man, he is lying. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, la taqum fihi abada. Never stand in that masjid. La masjidun usisa ala taqwa min awwali yawmin ahaqu an taquma fihi. The masjid that was built on the established on the foundation of piety, yani masjid quba, it is more deserving that you stand in that masjid rather than the masjid of Abu Amr. It's mentioned in narrations that the Prophet ﷺ asked Ali radiallahu an and Hamza radiallahu an to go and to destroy that masjid of Abu Amir. And legend has it to that till today, nothing fruitful has come from that piece of land. So again, whatever we do for the sake of Allah, whether we're building, whether we're helping, whether we're attending, whether we're giving, whether we're taking, whether we're teaching, whether we're learning in any capacity with the houses of Allah, then we do it solely and only for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I'm reminded of another hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, in which the Prophet ﷺ talked about those that sell and buy in the masjid. Yani they are far away from the role and the responsibility or the actual objective of a masjid if they are selling in the masjid. The Prophet ﷺ said, masjid, If you see someone selling in the masjid, then say to him, لا أربح الله تجارتك. Not my words, the words of the Prophet ﷺ. He said, if you see somebody selling in the masjid, or buying in the masjid, transacting in the masjid, then say to him, may your business, may your transaction not be full of profit. May your transaction not have any profit. And if you see someone making an announcement for something that they've lost, If you see someone making an announcement that I lost something, then tell that person, لا رد الله عليك May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not return what you lost to you. These are the words of the Prophet ﷺ. Why? Highlighting what? The fact that the masjids of Allah, the houses of Allah are only for Allah. And our intention should only be for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Honoring the sanctity of the masjid. When we come to the house of Allah to do everything only for the sake of Allah. And I'm afraid, unfortunately, in the times that we live in today, a person may visit the masjid, spend a lot of time in the masjid, but unfortunately, because of the different gadgets that we have, a person may spend a whole full hour, half an hour in the masjid and leave the masjid and not have even the thought of Allah cross their mind. Not even have the thought of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cross their mind. This is how far we've come 
from the actual objective of the masjid is for us to connect with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The grandson of Ibn Umar radiallahu, the grandson of Umar radiallahu an, his name was Salim ibn Abdullah, rahimahullah, he was very known, he was well known for his piety and his righteousness, he was well known for his knowledge. One day he was making tawaf of the Kaaba, and the king of the time, Hisham ibn Abdul Malik, he also entered into the Kaaba and he saw that Salim ibn Abdullah is making tawaf. He entered the mataf and he saw that Salim ibn Abdullah is also making tawaf. Now Salim ibn Abdullah, he was known for his piety. He was known for his righteousness. He was known for his knowledge, his zuhud, his taqwa. So Hisham ibn Abdul Malik, the king, out of respect, he approaches Salim ibn Abdullah and he asks him, is there anything that I can help you with? Is there any need of yours? Salni hajatan, ask me of anything and I will fulfill your, your need. Salim ibn Abdullah, standing in the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is ashamed. And he says to him, Inni min Allahi an asala fi ghayrahu. I am ashamed. How could I have the audacity to ask anyone else for anything in the house of Allah? I'm in the house of Allah, standing in front of the Kaaba. How could I have the audacity to ask anyone for anything besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? How could I ask anyone else? So Hisham ibn Abdul Malik, he understood his sentiments and he took a step back and he gave him some time. After some time, they both left the masjid and Hisham ibn Abdul Malik, out of respect, again approached him and asked him, Oh Salim, is there anything that I can help, with, help you with? Long story short, Salim ibn Abdullah didn't accept anything. Hisham ibn Abdul Malik, he mentions, this is mentioned in Bidayu and Nihaya by Ibn Kathir. He said, Hisham ibn Abdul Malik says, By Allah, I would give my whole kingdom and whatever it contains for a heart like Salim. Someone who is so connected to Allah and so, so connects, has such an amazing relationship with Allah. By Allah, I'd give everything, the whole kingdom and whatever it contains to anyone to have what Salim ibn Abdullah has. So that's the connection we all yearn to have as well. That we come to the masjid and we connect to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and it becomes a means of shelter for us, a means of refuge, a means of connecting to Allah, a means of khair, a means of barakah for us and for our families and our communities. So the objective that we learn from the Prophet is that we need to connect to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and facilitate for other people as well. If we aren't connecting to Allah, the least that we can do is to help others connect to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The least that we can do is not become a barrier for others or a nuisance for others when they come to the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we find this in the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam as well. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, a very famous story of the man who urinated in the masjid. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam allowed for him to complete and relieve himself and then spoke to him. Across the board, you'll find this when the Prophet ﷺ gave someone advice, the Sahaba would say, The Prophet ﷺ didn't beat me, he didn't curse me, he wasn't rude to me. But when he explained something, he explained it in such a beautiful manner that these Sahaba, that the Prophet ﷺ explained something to, fell in love with the deen and fell in love with Rasulullah. So all of us, we are responsible for this as well that we help facilitate other people's relationship to Allah, with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In another hadith, how the Prophet sallallahu facilitated for others. There was once a group of companions that came from far away. They spoke a different dialect of the Arabic language. They came to the Prophet sallallahu to learn the deen. And while the Prophet sallallahu is addressing them, because they spoke a different dialect of the Arabic language, the Prophet ﷺ to help them, to make them feel comfortable, to make them feel welcome. The Prophet ﷺ changed his dialect as well. They would replace the Alif Lam with Alif Mim. We know for those of us that know the Arabic language, uh, a word that's definite will start with an Alif Lam. In their dialect, they would start with Alif Mim. And so the Prophet ﷺ recorded in the books of Hadith, he changed his Alif Lam to Alif Mim as well. The Prophet ﷺ was describing or was explaining to them some rulings regarding fasting and while traveling. So the hadith, لَيْسَ مِنَ الْبِرِّ فِي السَّفَرِ That it's not from righteousness that a person fasts while traveling. There's no extra reward to fast while traveling. 
When the Prophet ﷺ told this or spoke this or uh, mentioned this to the, that, that group of companions, the Prophet ﷺ changed his alif lam to alif, lim, alif meem and said, لَيْسَ مِنِمْ بِرِّ fim safar." Why? To facilitate for them, to help them, to help them in their relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what I'm mentioning is sometimes we need to make sure that we're helping others also in their relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we don't want to become a means of inconvenience or troubling someone or being a means of even worse, someone leaving the masjid or the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we need to create that self-awareness within us. Am I saying something that's hurting someone? Did I do something that someone may be offended by my actions? And so we have to create this self-awareness within us. Sometimes we may say something, do something, and we don't even think about it twice. But by saying something or doing something, we've broken someone's relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Or we inconvenience somebody and they don't want to come back to the house of Allah. So it's our relationship, to, it's our responsibility to create that awareness within us. A very famous story of Umar radiallahu an. This is about creating self-awareness or being aware of our actions. Umar radiallahu an once walked into the marketplace. And he was the Amir al-Mu'mineen. He was the leader of the believers at that time. And as he walked into the marketplace, there was a man standing. This man, name, his name is Salama. He relates the story. He says, Umar radiallahu an passed by. He was passing by with purpose. He had something to do. And this was the habit of Umar radiallahu an, that he was very focused, uh, a go-getter. Everything uh, he, had, he did, he did it with purpose, did it with intention. So Umar radiallahu an himself disliked laziness for himself. He also disliked laziness for other people. If he saw someone else was being mindless or lazy or heedless, Umar radiallahu an would remind them and try to inspire them to get let go of laziness. It reminds me of the Arabic poet, he says, In regards to working hard and in regards to getting away with laziness or doing away with laziness. The Arabic poet, he says, In proportion to your hard work will you reach lofty statuses. You, know, you want success, you want to be successful in this world, in the hereafter, in whatever phase of your life. But you've gonna, you're going to have to work hard. Through, only, only through hard work will you achieve success. Someone that aspires for greatness or success, they're going to have to stay up at night. They're going to have to burn the midnight oil. They're going to have to stay up and work hard late at night. And then the poet, he asks a sarcastic question. And he says, تَرُومُ الْعِزَّةِ you aspire to be successful, but you're sleeping at night. You aspire to be successful, and you have these high aspirations, these goals, and you want this lofty status. But you're sleeping at night. How is that ever going to happen? He says, The person who wants pearls is going to have to dive deep into the ocean. He can't sit on the beach and relax and sit on the banks of the shore. The one who wants pearls is going to have to dive deep into the ocean. So Umar radiallahu an, he disliked laziness for himself. He disliked laziness for other people as well. Anyways, he was walking by in the marketplace and he saw Salama. And Salama was mindless, heedless, didn't really have purpose. So Umar radiallahu an walks by and gives him a small nudge. And he says, Hakada ya Salama, oh Salama, this is how you are, this is what you're walking with, what, what's going on? And gives him a small nudge. Anyways, they go their separate ways, and a year passes by. Salama says, Fasakata anni hatta kana fil amil muqbil. A whole year passed by. Salama had forgotten this had even happened. In fact, in the narration, he mentions, when Umar radiallahu nudged me, I didn't even feel it. In fact, he missed. He just barely caught the edge of my cloth, or the edge of my clothes. So he said, a whole year went by. Me and Umar radiallahu didn't meet. We didn't cross paths until the next year in the very same market. We were standing there and Umar radiallahu came to me. And he said, Ya Salama, 
Are you intending to go for Hajj this year? And Salah Salama replied and he said, Naam ya Amir al Mu'mineen. Yes, O Amir al Mu'mineen, I intend to go for Hajj. So Umar grabbed his hand. Salama says, Fa'akhada biyadi, Fama faraqat yadi, yadahu hatta dakhala bayta. Umar grabbed my hand and he didn't let go until he took me all the way to his house. Umar grabbed my hand and took me all the way to his house. When we got to his house, he took out a bag of coins and he gave it to Salama. And he said, Ya Salama, ista'in bihada, O Salama, use this for help in, in your journey for Hajj. You know, the expenditure that you have, use this for help in your, in your, expend, in, in your expenses. And then Umar cleared the air and mentioned why he was giving him the money. Umar said, O Salama, this is for the last year we were in the marketplace and I passed by you and I gave you a small nudge. This is in hope that you have space in your heart to forgive me. A whole year later, Umar is telling Salama, I'm giving you this in hope that you have space in your heart to forgive me. That last year I walked by and I nudged you. So Salama is shocked and he has to think about the fact that this even happened. He is standing there thinking, what are you talking about? And he's thinking about it. And then he said, oh, okay, maybe, yeah, I remember. He says, ya Amir al-Mu'mineen. Oh, Umar radiallahu an. Oh, Amir al-Mu'mineen. He says, Ma I didn't even remember this happened. I didn't even remember this happened. You reminded me now. I kind of remember. How did Umar reply? And this is what I was speaking about. This is the point I wanted to come to. That we have to have a self-awareness of our actions. Umar nudged Salama a whole year before. Salama forgot about it. But Umar never forgot about it. Salama says, O oh, Amir al-Mu'mineen, I didn't even remember until you reminded me that that happened. Umar said, Wallahi ma nasituha ba'du. Since that day till today, it's been nudging me, it's been bothering me. I haven't been able to sleep for a whole year since I nudged you. That's why after a whole year, I'm giving you this and I'm asking you to forgive me. So a whole year went by and Umar remembered what had happened a whole year ago. Why? Because he was aware. He was aware of what had happened. He was aware that maybe I caused someone some inconvenience. Maybe I hurt someone's feeling. And he couldn't sleep and he didn't let it go until he spoke it out and asked him for forgiveness. So this is what we have to work on. Work on the fact that we want to make sure that everything I do is a means of happiness for other people, not a means of sadness. The Prophet ﷺ said, Sometimes somebody, sometimes a person may say something and they don't think much of it. It might just be a snarky comment. It might just be a clever remark. It might not, you know, a person doesn't even think much about it. They just say it. They just don't even think that it meant anything. But by Allah, because they said something that hurt someone's feelings or they caused some inconvenience, the Prophet ﷺ said, through that one kalima, through that one word, through that one phrase that you thought meant nothing, through that one kalima, through that one word, that one phrase that you thought meant nothing, you didn't think anything of it, you thought nothing of it, but by Allah, in the depths of Jahannam, you've just launched yourself the distance more than the distance between the east and the west. Why? Because you said something you shouldn't have said. You did something that caused someone inconvenience. And so in our masajid as well, we want our communities, not just the masjid, but the community, the worshippers, to be closely connected to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through action, through intention, through our actions, not only us, but those around us come closer to the house of Allah. Build a relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Let it be a means of forgiveness for us in our communities. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala praised Masjid Quba in that same ayah that I mentioned, that the masjid that was built upon the foundation of taqwa is more deserving for you, O Prophet of Allah, to stand in it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't stop with the praise of the masjid just by praising the masjid. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala went on and he described and, and, and described and praised the worshippers as well. There are people there that have great, amazing actions. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala praised the worshippers as well. So it's not just the masjid, it's not just the building. 
but it's the actual community that makes the masjid. And so we have to make sure that we try our best to be a means of happiness, not a means of nuisance or embarrassing anyone else. Another story comes to mind, that of Jarir ibn Abdullah al-Bajali radiallahu an. He was a great companion, accepted Islam in the late, later years of the Prophet wasallam. In the ninth or 10th year after Hijrah, he accepted Islam. He was a leader of his own nation. When he came to the Prophet wasallam, the Prophet wasallam gave him respect and honored him. In fact, in one gathering, he entered and there was nowhere for him to sit. The Prophet ﷺ took off his own cloak and gave it to him so that he could sit on it. And he asked the Prophet ﷺ, of course, after being honored, he took the cloak of the Prophet ﷺ and took barakah from it and then put it down to sit on it. He said, O Prophet of Allah, you're respecting me, you're giving me honor. The Prophet ﷺ said, Yes, when leaders of nations come and people that are worthy of respect and honor, then of course we give them respect and honor. So this Abdullah, uh, Jarir ibn Abdullah al-Bajli radiallahu an, he was very tall, he was very handsome. Umar radiallahu an used to say, Yusufu hadihi al-Ummah. He is the Yusuf of this Ummah. So once he was sitting with Umar radiallahu an in a house, in a gathering, and there were other people there as well. Umar radiallahu an were... Was, was addressing the people. And as Umar radiallahu anhu is addressing the people, somebody uh, ha- happens to pass gas. And when they pass gas, it ruins the environment in the house. It's a small room, a small house, a lot of people. And so this upset Umar radiallahu anhu. He became a little bit upset. And so Umar radiallahu anhu said, whoever passed gas, stand up and go make wudu. Whoever passed gas, stand up and go make wudu. You can just imagine. Right, the embarrassment that a person must feel. And this is Umar radiallahu an. He's not playing around. And so Umar radiallahu an, as he's saying this, Jarir ibn Abdullah radiallahu an is there and he grabs Umar radiallahu an. Before Umar radiallahu an can finish, he grabs Umar radiallahu an. And he says, Oh Umar, oh Amirul Mu'mineen, oh Yatawadda'ul Qawmu Jami'an, oh Amirul Mu'mineen, how about we all go make wudu? How about we all go make wudu? Oh, yatawadda'ul qawmu jami'an. Oh, Umar radiallahu an. Oh, Amirul Mu'mineen. How about we all go make wudu? If that one person gets up to leave to go make wudu, how embarrassing. How about we all take a break, a two-minute break, and we all stand up and we all go make wudu? Umar radiallahu an, when he heard this, now if I had to be you and I, we would become upset. You know who you're talking to. I'm the leader. I'm this. I'm that. Unfortunately, this is one of the keys that shaitan uses on... Uh, people that attend the masjid or people that are somewhat religiously connected. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us tawfiq. Uh, we fall, whether we like it or not, under the category of the quote-unquote religious people. So this is a key that shaitan uses. Sometimes our arrogance gets to us. The Prophet ﷺ said, A person has even an iota's worth of kibr, of arrogance, of pride in their heart, they will not enter Jannah. So sometimes shaitan gets to us with these spiritual diseases, which inshallah we'll, we'll sp- speak about tomorrow. Imam Ghazali, rahimahullah, he mentions in his Ahyal Ulum, he mentions if you see, and he talks about one of the cures of our egos, our, uh, of being arrogant or boastful, how to get rid of this in our hearts. Imam Ghazali, rahimahullah, he mentions if you see a young person, if you see a young person, many times we'll think he's young, he doesn't know much. I'm more educated, I'm wealthier, I'm mature. He's just a young child. So Imam Ghazali rahimahullah said, how do we get rid of this? He says, when you see as a young man, say to yourself, This young man hasn't committed sins, and I've committed many sins. So there's no doubt this young man is better than me. So our thought process should be, this young man doesn't have 30, 40 years of sins on his scale of deeds. I have 30, 40 years of sins on my scale of deeds. Hence, فَلَا شَكَّ أَنَّهُ خَيْرٌ مِّنِّي There's no doubt this young man is better than me. وَإِذَا رَأَيْتَ كَبِيرًا And maybe you see an elderly person and you think, I'm young and I have energy and I can do this and I can do that. How to take out the arrogance and to free ourselves from this spiritual disease? Imam Ghazali writes, if you see an old elderly person, you should say or think to yourself, This old man or this, this elderly person, they've been worshipping Allah for far longer than I have. 
They've got 60, 70 years of good deeds on their scale. I've only got maybe five, maybe ten, and we all know our true, our true selves. So if you see an elderly person, think to yourself, he's got more years of, of good deeds, more Ramadans, more salawats, more everything than I do. So definitely this person, فَلَا شَكَّ أَنَّهُ خَيْرٌ مِّنِّي This elderly person, no doubt about it, he's better than me. إِذَا رَأَيْتَ عَالِمًا If you see someone that's a learned person, then if you see that learned person, think to yourself, he knows that which I don't know. So definitely he knows better than me. وَإِذَا رَأَيْتَ جَاهِلًا And if you see an ignorant person or a layman, then think to yourself, هَذَا قَدْ عَصَى اللَّهَ بِجَهْلٍ This person... He's a layman. He doesn't know any better. He committed sins because he didn't know any better. And I committed sins despite the fact that I had knowledge. Despite the fact that I had knowledge, I committed sins. This person, a layman, he committed sins. He didn't even know. He didn't know any better. But I knew better. And I still committed sins. So, فَحُجَّةُ alayya akbar. The, 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 the case against me is more difficult. The case against me is more difficult. I knew, and despite the fact that I had knowledge, I continued to sin. This person didn't know, and he didn't know any better. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's case against me is stronger. And then he even goes to the extent, he says, Even if you see a kafir, even if you see someone that doesn't believe in Allah, then think to yourself, Asa and Yuslim, it is, there's the potential, perhaps, that this kafir will tomorrow accept Islam, and all of his sins will be forgiven, and my sins will still remain. If that happens, then there's no doubt he's better than me. So Imam Ghazali, rahimahullah, he makes mention of this, how to rid ourselves of the arrogance in our heart. Anyways, going back to the story of Umar radiallahu an. Umar radiallahu an is sitting there. Jarir ibn Abdullah holds him and says, Oh, yatawadda ul-qawmu jami'an ya amir al-mu'mineen. Oh, amir al-mu'mineen, how about we all make wudu? How about we all stand up and take a two-minute break? So Umar radiallahu an, he looks at Jarir ibn Abdullah and he says, Rahimakallah, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have blessings. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you. Ni'ma sayyidu kunta fil jahiliyyah. Ni'ma sayyidu anta fil islam. You were an amazing leader before you accepted Islam. And now... Even now, you're an amazing leader still today. So even before Islam, you're a great leader. Who's saying this? Amirul Mu'mineen, the leader of the Muslims. He himself is calling Jarir ibn Abdullah the true leader. That you were a great leader before, you're still a great leader today. So we want to be a means of happiness. A means of happiness for other people, specifically when they come to the masjid. Be a means of happiness and facilitate their relationship with Allah. Their tears will be on your scale of good deeds. Their salawat will be on your good scale of good deeds. Their dua, their sadaqah will be on your scale of good deeds. Why? Because you helped facilitate their relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is everyone's responsibility that we help facilitate other people's relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Make it an enjoyable experience so they come back again and again to remember Allah. And like I mentioned, their good deeds on your scale of good deeds as well. Another story comes to mind of the Prophet ﷺ being a means of happiness. Being a means of happiness. The Prophet ﷺ, in his time there was a man by the name of Zahir. <clears throat> and Zahir, he was from the desert people. And the desert people are different from the city people. The desert people have different customs. The desert people have a different way of speaking. They aren't as formal as the city people are. So the Bedouins, the people from the desert, they would come... And they would speak to the Prophet ﷺ. And they would speak in such a frank manner that the Sahaba would sit back and enjoy. They would sit back and enjoy. Because they didn't have, the people of the city didn't have that, uh, that formality that the Sahaba had. Anyways, Zahir, he was a man that would come from the, from the desert, spend time in Medina, and then he would leave. When he would come, he would give the Prophet ﷺ some gifts. And when he would leave, the Prophet ﷺ would return the favor. Not only return the favor, the Prophet ﷺ would help get his things together. So the Prophet ﷺ helped him. And the Prophet ﷺ created a bond with him, a relationship, a friendship with him. So much so that the Prophet ﷺ used to pay tribute to him. And he used to say, إِنَّ زَاهِرًا بَادِيَتُنَا وَنَحْنُ حَاضِرُوهُ إِنَّ زَاهِرًا بَادِيَتُنَا وَنَحْنُ حَاضِرُوهُ Zahir is our contact, our person in the, in the desert. When we go somewhere, 
We usually have someone that we have a connection with. So the Prophet ﷺ said, when we travel, Zahir is our contact. And when he comes to the city, then we are his people. We are his contact in the city. So the Prophet ﷺ paid tribute to him as well. In the hadith, this is found in Shamayl Tirmidhi, Anas the narrator of the hadith, he goes as far as to say, and he says it frankly, he says, the Kanan Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Yuhibbuhu, the Prophet loved him, had a special relationship with him. He was a man of unsight, he was an unsightly person. Someone that disheveled hair, bad smell, maybe tattered clothing. People didn't come see him. In fact, people looked down upon him. Society as a whole looked down upon Zahir because he was from the desert disheveled hair, tattered clothing, not a very sightly appearance. So people would actually shun him and turn away from him, not spend time with him and not talk to him. The Prophet ﷺ though loved him and would spend time with him and would talk to him. One day, and this is mentioned in the way that the Prophet ﷺ would joke. The Prophet ﷺ sees Zahir in the marketplace selling some things. So the Prophet ﷺ sneaks up behind him so that Zahir can't see that this is the Prophet ﷺ. And he sneaks up behind Zahir and he hugs Zahir. He holds him. Now Zahir was someone that was looked down upon in society. He thought someone was playing a joke on him. And he became upset. And he couldn't see who's holding him. It was the Prophet ﷺ hugging him from behind, but Zahir couldn't see that. And so he tried to let go. And he said, Man hadha, man hadha, arsilni, who is this? Who is this? Let me go, let me go. And so he struggled a little bit and he freed himself a little bit and he, enough to look, turn around and see the Prophet ﷺ. And when he turned around and he saw it was the Prophet, he smiled. And then he embraced the hug of the Prophet ﷺ. He stopped fighting, he stopped struggling, and he took the hug of the Prophet ﷺ. And then the Prophet ﷺ, as a joke, the Prophet ﷺ said, Who's going to buy this slave? Who's, the Prophet ﷺ still hugging him, still holding him, and saying, who's going to buy this slave? Who's going to buy this slave? Now Zahir knew that he was looked down upon in society. No one gave him the time of day. He was heartbroken and so he spilled his heart, his heart out onto a, to, to the Prophet ﷺ. He said, O Prophet of Allah, if you sell me, إِذَن وَاللَّهِ تَجِدُنِي كَاسِدًا إِذَن وَاللَّهِ تَجِدُنِي كَاسِدًا O Prophet of Allah, if you sell me or if you try selling me, you're going to get nothing out of me. I'm worthless, I'm valueless, I'm broke. People look down upon me. O Prophet of Allah, if you sell me, you'll get nothing in return. So he poured his heart out to the Prophet ﷺ that, O oh, Prophet of Allah, I have nothing, I'm broke, I'm worthless, I'm valueless, O oh, Prophet of Allah. And the Prophet ﷺ took this as an opportunity to be a means of happiness. He was already being a means of happiness for him. But the Prophet ﷺ returned and in and, and, and answer to Zahir, he said, O oh, Zahir, لَكِنْ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ لَسْتَ بِكَاسِدٍ أَنْتَ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ غَالٍ O oh, Zahir, in the eyes of people, you may think that they look down on you. You may think that the people don't like you and that you're the lowest of the people. In the eyes of people, you may be low. But by Allah, in the sight of Allah, you are priceless. In the sight of Allah, you're beyond price. You're priceless. You're invaluable. You're beyond price. You're precious, O Zahir. So the Prophet ﷺ completely mended his heart. He saw that this man's heart was broken. And the Prophet ﷺ made it a means of happiness for him. Made it, him, made it a means of happiness for him. And so this is what we find in the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. When our institutions have this quality, then we will see that the masajid thriving, our communities thriving. There will be teaching and learning going on. There will be humanitarian aid going on. There will be social welfare going on. There will be da'wah going on. In the middle of it all, the heart of the community is the masjid, like the masjid of the Prophet ﷺ. That's when the masjid will become a refuge for all of us, for anyone going through any type of difficulty. We will be able to come to the masjid and solve all of our issues through connecting with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Like in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, there was a man by the name of Abu Umama radiallahu an. It was a shelter. It was a refuge. The masjid of the Prophet ﷺ, literally, people would go there to, to heal. 
And so the Prophet ﷺ one day is walking by and it's a time when normally people aren't in the masjid. A time when normally no one else is in the masjid. And the Prophet ﷺ is walking by and he sees Abu Umama radiallahu sitting in the masjid. All alone. It's dark. No one else is there. The Prophet ﷺ approaches Abu Umama radiallahu and he knows that something's wrong. The Prophet ﷺ asks Abu Umama, Oh Abu Umama, Mali Araka Jali sent fil masjidi fi ghayri waqtis salah. Oh Abu Umama, why do I see you sitting in the masjid? No one else is here. It's not a time for salah. Why are you here? Why are you here, O oh Abu Umama? And so Abu Umama radiallahu anhu, he replied, he said, Duyunun wa humumun lazimatni ya Rasulullah. Duyunun wa humumun lazimatni ya Rasulullah. My debts and my anxiety, they've, they've brought me down. Literally, they've, they've brought, me, they brought me down. My debts and my anxieties, my stress, my grief, it's dragged me down, O Prophet of Allah. So the Prophet ﷺ was there again to mend his heart. The Prophet ﷺ said, let me teach you a dua. Recite this dua in the mornings, recite this dua in the evenings. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will take care of your grief. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will take care of your debts. So Abu Umama radiallahu an, narration of Abu Dawood. Abu, Abu Umama radiallahu an, he says, فَفَعَلْتُ ذَلِكَ I did exactly that. I said, I made that dua in the morning, I made that dua in the evening. And by Allah, within some time, all my duyun were taken care of. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took care of all my debts. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took care of all my grief. So this was the masjid of the Prophet wasallam, the very famous incident of Ali radiallahu anhu and Fatima radiallahu anha, when the Prophet wasallam sensed some tension between Ali radiallahu anhu and Fatima radiallahu anha. And so he visited Fatima radiallahu anha and he noticed that Ali radiallahu anhu wasn't at home. So he asked Fatima radiallahu anha, Aina ibn Ammik, where is, where is Ali? And so Fatima radiallahu anha said that he's left the house out of frustration. Some marital, uh, you know, difficulty had taken place. And so he's gone to the masjid. And so the Prophet makes his way to the masjid, speaks to Ali radiallahu an and helps them uh, solve their matter. By the way, a side note from this, this narration of Ali radiallahu an. The best of relationships can have its challenges. Right? The best of relationships can go through some difficulty, some trial, some tribulation. A perfect relationship doesn't mean that there's no difficulty. Our Ustad used to give a very beautiful example. He used to say that if a, per, if a pilot claims that he's an expert pilot because he never hit turbulence. If a pilot claims that he's an expert pilot because he never hit turbulence then in reality, that's not his expertise. You might say that's luck, that he never hit turbulence, but that's not expertise. Expertise, an expert pilot will be the one who says, I've gone through the worst of turbulence, but I've been able to land the plane safely. I've been through the worst of turbulence, but I know how to manage it. I know how to manage the turbulence. I know how to get out of it. I know how to land the plane safely. That's an expert pilot. So in the same way, in our relationships, the best of relationships have difficulty. The, the likes of Fatima radiallahu an and Ali radiallahu an. In fact, a story comes to mind of the Prophet sallallahu himself. Ibn al-Jawzi rahimahullah makes mention of this narration. Imam Ghazali rahimahullah also indicates towards it in Ihya al-Uloom. The Prophet sallallahu was once out on an expedition with two of his wives, Aisha radiallahu anha and Safiya radiallahu anha. Aisha radiallahu anha, she would travel light. She would travel very light, just a few things. And in that specific expedition, her camel was also very fast and was very quick. It was a younger camel, it was fast, it was quick, and she traveled very light. You know, they have the, the check-in luggage, right? Then they have the carry-on, and then there's something even smaller, correct? What, is, what do they call it? Personal item, right? So... Aisha radiallahu anha traveled very, very light. Very, very light. So she had the quick camel and she was traveling light. And Safiya radiallahu anha, she had an old sluggish camel and she had lots of luggage. Lots of luggage. Lots of stuff with her. So what ends up happening is Safiya radiallahu anha's camel starts to slow down the whole caravan. Because it's a slow, old camel. And then on top of it, Safiya radiallahu anha had lots of luggage. So because of the lots of luggage, the, the camel would slow down. It was a slow camel already. And the whole caravan's being slowed down. 
So the Prophet ﷺ suggests to Aisha radiallahu anha and Sophia radiallahu anha that listen, look, the camel's slowing down the whole caravan. How about we take her luggage from her from Sophia's camel radiallahu anha and put it on Aisha radiallahu anha's camel? Her camel is fast and quick and it has very little luggage. Why don't we help out Sophia radiallahu anha's camel, take the things and put it onto Aisha radiallahu anha's camel? Hopefully that will help speed up that slow camel. So as the Prophet ﷺ suggesting this, Aisha radiallahu anha doesn't like this idea. And Aisha radiallahu anha becomes upset. And she's going back and forth with the Prophet ﷺ that I must take the luggage of another person and I have to, you know, what kind of, uh, of justice is this between... I and her. How come she gets to have none and I have to take all of her luggage and they're going back and forth. And as they're going back and forth, Aisha radiallahu anha makes a statement. And she says, Alasta taz'umu annaka rasulallah? Alasta taz'umu annaka rasulallah? She was upset, radiallahu anha. She was upset. She said, I have to take her luggage because her camel is slow and she packed a lot. And how is this justice? And oh, by the way, Alasta taz'umu annaka rasulallah? Don't you claim to be a prophet? Aren't you the one that claims to be a prophet? Subhanallah. If it had to be you or I, we would cry out blasphemy and we would say all of these things. What did the Prophet ﷺ say? He took it in jest. The Prophet ﷺ said, shakin anti ya Aisha. Oh Aisha, are you in doubt about my prophethood? Are you in doubt about my prophethood? And he smiled and he joked it off and he laughed and it was done with. Abu Bakr heard this. Of course he was upset. The Prophet ﷺ said, Mahlan ya Abu Bakr. Abu Bakr, let it go. The Prophet ﷺ smiled and, and just let it go. So going back to what I was saying about the pilots and the turbulence, you can go through the worst of turbulence, but if a person knows how to manage the turbulence, then even the best of relationships, the best of relationships can have some difficulties, some trials, some tribulations. It's the outcome. When you come out of it and you're closer to Allah and you're closer to your spouse and together you're praying your salawat together and making dua and making istighfar and making a regimen of dhikr, that is the stronger relationship. That is the stronger relationship. Anyways, going back to what I was mentioning, in our masajid, we want, to be, we want our masajid to be sources of happiness, sources of guidance, sources of, 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 of rahmah and barakah for all of us. In our masajid, our elders did such a, great, such a great effort, giving their life, their wealth, their sacrifice, their time to build these institutions. It's upon the community that we build this community within it. And we have great akhlaq and make the environment an environment, an inviting environment. An environment where we're not giving other people inconvenience. And like I mentioned, sometimes we may something and not think anything of it. But you may have broken someone's heart. You may be hanging out with the same people every day and not know that by not hanging out by, with other people and not saying salam to other people, you're creating an environment that's against the environment of the masjid of the Prophet the most downtrodden of the people in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, the likes of Zahir an, the Prophet ﷺ had a great relationship with him. So I apologize if I come across as offensive, but ulama only speaking to ulama, and hufad only speaking to hufad, and people from a specific profession only speaking to people from their profession, and the youngsters only speaking to youngsters, and one ethnicity only speaking to their ethnicity, and the elderly only speaking to the elderly. This is not from the sunnah, this is not from the environment of the masjid of the Prophet ﷺ. So we make our environment of the masjid according to the environment of the masjid of the Prophet ﷺ, and you will find that there will be learning and teaching. And the heart of the, the masjid will be the heart of the community. People will be learning and teaching and giving da'wah and humanitarian aid. All taking place from the center, the community of the masjid, of the, of the, the center of the community, the masajid and the houses of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In conclusion, I just wanted to reiterate what Sheikh Hussein mentioned when he visited us for the grand opening of the seminary. The advice he gave was, give your heart to the institution. And it reminded me of the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ at the time of Badr, when the Prophet ﷺ gathered the Muhajir and the Ansar. And the Prophet ﷺ gathered them to see if they were all on the same page, to see if they were all okay with going to war at Badr. So the Prophet ﷺ asked the Sahaba, both the Ansar as well as the Muhajirin, 
that who here, you know, we're all, you know, we're ready for this and this is going to happen and that's going to happen. Suggestions, comments, feedback. And the Sahaba answered. And the Muhajirs answered twice. And so the Prophet ﷺ knew in the back of his mind that the Muhajirin, they're already on board. They came all the way from Mecca and moved to Medina. They're ready. They were ready to give their life. But the Prophet ﷺ wanted to hear it from the Ansar. He wanted to hear it. From, he wanted Ansari to stand up and say that we're ready, O Rasulullah. So as the Prophet ﷺ continues to ask, Sa'ad bin Mu'adh radiallahu anhu, he gets the point. He gets the point that the Prophet ﷺ keeps asking because he wants to hear it from us. He wants to hear that the Ansar are on board. So Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh radiallahu anhu stood up and said, Ka'annaka turiduna ya Rasulullah. O Prophet of Allah, you keep asking. It seems as if you want to hear it from us, the Ansar. The Prophet ﷺ said, yes, exactly. I want to hear it from you. So Sa'ad bin Mu'adh radiallahu anhu gave his heart to the Prophet ﷺ. He said, O Prophet of Allah, فَقَدْ آمَنَّا بِكْ فَصَدَّقْنَاكْ وَشَهِدْنَا أَنَّ مَا جِئْتَ بِهِ هُوَ الْحَقِّ O Prophet of Allah, we believe in you, we trust in you, and we bear witness that what you've brought this deen, it is absolute haqq. فَمْضِ يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ مَا تَخَلَّفَ مِنَّا رَجُلٌ وَاحِدٌ If you had to jump into an ocean, O Prophet of Allah, none, no one, no one from amongst the Adsar would stay back. مَا تَخَلَّفَ مِنَّا رَجُلٌ وَاحِدٌ all of us would be with you, O Prophet of Allah. And then the Prophet ﷺ, after hearing this, Sa'ad bin Mu'adh continued to pour his heart out. And he said, O Prophet of Allah, Sil habla man shi'ta, waqta' habla man shi'ta, wa khud min amwalina ma shi'ta, wa a'tina ma shi'ta. O Prophet of Allah, do whatever you want with us. Tell us to make enemies out of our families, we'll make them enemies. Tell us to make friends out of those that we hate, we'll make them our friends. Take from our wealth whatever you want to take. Give us whatever you want to give us. We will not have anything to object to a Prophet of Allah. In fact, from the wealth that you take from us, that which you take from us, the wealth that you take from us, is more beloved than the wealth that you've left with us. So Sa'ad bin Mu'adh was giving his heart. And so I end with this as well. We give our hearts to the, the, to the houses of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When we give our hearts and make this intention, then inshallah our masajid throughout the world will become beaming, beaming, uh, be, they will become beaming with guidance in nur, in barakah, in rahmah. It will be a means of happiness for us and our children and our families in this world, a means of happiness in, in barakah, in rahmah, and success for us in the hereafter. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us all tawfiq. Subhanallah wa bihamdi, subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Nashhadu an la ilaha illa ant, nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. There's a question in regards to the dua of, of, of uh, removing debt. That dua is included uh, amongst the du'as of the morning and the evening. Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min al-ajzi wal-kasal, wa'udhu bika min al-bukhli wal-juban, wa'udhu bika min al uh, so on this bookmark as well as other uh, booklets of morning and evening du'as you will find that du'a that the Prophet sallallahu mentioned uh, to Abu Umama radiallahu anhu Jazakumullahu khairan wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah